Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Desuckify Work Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Mike Moss. I've known Mike for over 30 years. We were in the same fraternity at Lehigh University, and from what we can recall, it was a mostly pleasant experience. I'd show you the secret handshake, but then I'd have to kill you. Also, I don't remember it. Since those days, Mike has built a long career in the world of people analytics, and he's the first person to convince me that employee surveys aren't just butt-covering theater. He's actually found ways to connect the results directly to employee burnout and turnover. Now, if he could just find someone who will actually pay attention to those results and act on them. We talk about that and more during our conversation. We compare Mike's more skeptical style with my optimistic POV and recognize the value of each. We chat about the sanity-saving value of pocket cultures within large organizations, along with their potential downsides. And we touch on the importance of clarity in the workplace, especially when it comes to hair-on-fire requests from executives. Spoiler alert, no one knows what the hell is expected of them in those situations, and the resulting chaos is likely costing businesses millions in lost productivity. The good news is there's an easy fix. Keep listening to find out what that is. Okay, welcome to the Desuckify Work Podcast. Mike Moss, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Awesome. Doing? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. I mean, I've known you for 30 plus years now. Uh, we've reconnected recently and, I, and I'm excited to get people to hear some of what you've been doing. Cause I think the sort of data and analytics and, and all that stuff is, is an interesting side of this desuckify thing that, that people will, will benefit from. So with that, I'd love to give you just a chance to kind of tell everybody who you are, what your story is and, you know, how you came to be doing what you've been doing for your career. Sure. Um, you know, I just had this conversation last week. I actually, my junior year in high school came across this career path. Wow. My, my high school baseball coach did a health and careers class and he hmm. told us about industrial and organizational psychology in my junior year of high school. Wow. And, um, I was like, that's pretty cool. That's like yeah. motivation. How do you motivate people? Um, you know, it's a psychology in the workplace. How do you create the most productive and engaged workforce? So, mm-hmm. I'm going to check that out. And I, you know, so I kind of went to college, studied, as you know, at an engineering at the time school, studied psychology, um, (laughs) excellent at the partying aspect of college. Um, I remember that as well. Yeah. yeah, I think I was right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We all were, I think, in our our group. I Uh, think so. And, you know, I just kept, I studied psychology. I, you know, I thought a little bit about clinical, but I knew I'd, I didn't want to go that route mm-hmm. thinking about it. Um, and so I ended up getting a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology, which mm-hmm. is, it's really, it's essentially people analytics. Okay. The, the industrial organizational psychology is more of a, you know, there's a measurement aspect and an experimental study aspect. How do you prove something? How do you show with beyond a shadow of a doubt that a mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of testing stuff in there, but ultimately it's the base of people analytics. So, yeah, cool. Uh, what is people analytics for, for those who are outside that sphere a little bit, that might sound like, um, a little technical, but 
but it's not really. I mean, there's a technical aspect to it, but but what do you, what is t- people analytics and what how does that benefit organizations? So, uh, people analytics is is essentially leveraging data that exists or that you create, like mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and and analyzing that data to better understand uh, a workforce. Mm-hmm. It's going well. What are the challenges and issues? Where do we need to improve? Mm-hmm. Also, just providing context and information. So, like in a talent management process, you're deciding on who the high potentials are. Mm-hmm. You can use people analytics to try to figure that out based on data that exists. Mm-hmm. Are not the most um, objective uh, characters. So, if they nominate someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could use it to help round out the information available as you're looking at people, right? Okay. What their, what's their employee engagement score of their organization over time? Mm. Yeah. Things like that. Like mm. you, can some, you can look at harder stuff and softer stuff to get this profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing I like to tell people that people understand the best is predictive modeling for turnover. Mm. Understanding who's going to leave the company when best that you can. Mm-hmm. You usually, you know, uh, try to take some sort of uh, action up front, mm-hmm. either less likely reduce the turnover more than more likely to manage to expected high turnover. That's interesting, right? Because turnover is one of these things that is like sort of a dirty little not so secret thing in a lot of organizations. I know in my world, I come from advertising, like. I want to say the average turnover is like 30% a year. I mean, it's, it's pretty high. And to your point though, it's like, it feels more like the latter is what has how people deal with it. It is like, okay, that's what it is. And how do I best survive that reality versus could I actually lower it? And I think for the, you know, the, the, the slightly optimistic person inside of me, I say there, I go, well, if you know it's 30%, couldn't you at least try to get it to 25% and what could you do? Have you ever had anybody ask you to, to sort of provide data that might help with that? Or is it almost always like, give me information so I at least know what I'm dealing with and then I can manage it? Yeah, it's more of that usually. And then if there's optics, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. get more curious, exponentially mm-hmm. more curious by the day. Um, mm-hmm. growing so after the yeah. pandemic there was this you know the great resignation um, we were looking yeah. at a lot of information trying to figure out why people are leaving the company mm-hmm. um, some of it is population based if you have you hire a bunch of 24 year olds who just got out of college degrees mm-hmm. you know they're, they're transient they're going to move yeah um so but yes wherever it is mm-hmm. you can decide is there is there some sort of you know value to bringing that down mm-hmm. as we yeah. both know this is looked at from a purely numerical you know, standpoint uh, most large companies yeah which which makes sense i think there's i think there's a, a lot of folks who look at it and think it must be expensive meaning hiring a person costs a lot of money i just you know i've, I've hired enough people to know it is a time-consuming process, um, and inevitably, when you do finally find somebody, y- there is a chunk of time where that person is not as good as 
the previous person usually yeah yeah and like i i think intuitively you sit there and go well that seems like a waste of money why wouldn't you try to lower turnover but is it just that the cost to try to lower turnover is that much higher um that i wouldn't say that okay certainly a lot more effort than just doing what you normally do yeah yeah i guess you know, i could I, that's, that's when, when we get to the de-suckify stuff I, <laughs> yeah in the end it's like you need those people who have that power right mm -hmm. formal or informal right and to want to change it not because their outcomes necessarily change directly mm -hmm. uh, but all you know that has to be the business case is like will you get more out of people if you yeah treat mm -hmm. them frederick taylor in 1917 told us yes and yeah changed to tell us no but <laughs> it's a lot more work you know, yeah it's gonna it's outside. gonna take a lot longer than uh 100 plus years for us to get that message though i think uh <laughs> it's t it's you know it's uh, i always draw a chart of an organization just a bunch of arrows in a circle mm -hmm. they're all pointing the same way yeah like Nirvana, but yeah that's for the case right and yeah. just how much are they pointed in is there a zero correlation between the arrow the direction of the arrows yeah chaos right that's that's so, bad yeah somewhere between those two yeah that's really interesting i think uh I think we've all stepped into places where the arrows are are pretty sloppy, um, you know. But uh, but I've been fortunate to work in some places where they're you know they're not perfect. Obviously, I don't think anybody expects that from from human beings. But yeah, if it feels generally like the momentum is all in one direction, it it does make a huge difference. Um, I think we can come back to some of that stuff, some of the data stuff and how we can maybe work to desuckify it. But I'd love to even just kind of get your take on, you know, both from your experience working within some large organizations and just what you see in the world. What what's your take on the the state of work right now? You know, if there was a suck meter, you know, where is it on that suck meter? I've definitely um um you know, come to focus when I've heard this question on other on your podcast before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd say it's probably, you know, if we had to put it on the suck meter, it's about a little bit, or, you know, more than a little bit below average right now. Yeah. Um, I had hoped to read this book by this call, but there's a book by uh, that's on Jack Welch and how he purportedly ruin corporate america by Jeez. shareholder <laughs> primacy right it's just yeah yeah everything is about getting the shareholder every extra dollar well mm -hmm. employees are are you know losing out on that mm -hmm. and i think especially in shareholder run you know own companies um it's just employees are so far down on the list of things that people leaders truly mm -hmm. care about you know yeah that you know you can see look look at the unionization trend right now mm -hmm. right there's a pendulum yeah. i think swinging and i mm -hmm. think especially in the pandemic just brought about like just brought it in spades but yeah you know, employee people are like can i just be treated like a human being <laughs> yeah just, you know rather than some animal that you can just send to one side of the right and the other just you'll just go do it 
Um, <laughs> and people are, you know, frustrated. There are people who are taking two full-time jobs remotely, mm -hmm. working both of them and yeah. get a 40 hour work week. Yeah. That's, that's where people are, I think. So I think there's an opportunity right now where if company can create an environment and some do mm -hmm. um, where people really feel like they're a part of something mm -hmm. um, that I think there's just unbelievable power to be unleashed by that. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree. I do think you can feel that pendulum swinging a little bit. I do, th you know, the, the COVID sort of disruption did get a lot of people, you know, one of the things I, I like to ask people is, you know, what role does work play in your life? Right. And, and, and I'll ask that to you, but I think, um, in general, that question showed up front and center in people's minds is like, um, and I think for, for a lot of folks, they're willing to have it play an important role, but certain conditions need to be met, right? You kind of need to at least meet me halfway. So I have a chance to find some meaning and value and joy in that work experience. But if I don't, I'm just going to start cramming that priority way down and make work something that I just sort of tolerate. And you're going to get that as an employer. So one, one I would say is, are you observing that yourself into what, what role does work play in your life? Like where, where, what kind of importance is it there for you? Yeah. Well, what, what do they call, um, um, what's the term where you stop working at work? Oh, quiet quitting. Yeah. Quiet quitting, right. That's the yeah. most recent thing. Quiet quitting. It's like, yeah, who hate their jobs and they just do as little as possible. If you're an executive, obviously the bar is a lot higher for what you can do and get away with that. Yeah. Um, um, but, um, you know, I think there that it's, it's look, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's human, right? What's in it for me mm -hmm. looking out for me, right? If mm -hmm. you just have this agenda where you want to get to here and you're just going to do it no matter what, then, mm -hmm. you yeah, uh, you know, I'm someone who has always like looked for a workplace where there's more respect and not that I found it. Uh, mm -hmm. but where there's more respect than where people really, you know, try to do the right thing. You have to hold people accountable, but try to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, work sits for me is, um, you know, I just can't help it just because of conscientiousness. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to work hard and I work too mm -hmm. hard and I always say I'm going to work less. Mm -hmm. I also take on too much for people below me because I don't want to, you know, I try to t absorb the pain rather than pass it along, which mm -hmm. definitely hurt me over time. Yeah. Um, but one thing, I, you know, so I usually work a lot mm -hmm. um, and I'm looking at um, consciously making a decision to work less in the next one, which is still a lot more than mm -hmm. most people. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have definitely, I've just put sleep aside. And didn't let work get in the way of coaching and doing the other things that I want to do. And mm -hmm. I like to do so. Yeah. That's where I'm trying to move. But what, you know, one interesting thing I just want to say burnout, mm -hmm. hallmark feature of burnout, it's not just working your tail off, mm -hmm. it's not feeling like there's a meaningful purpose yeah. associated with it. People yeah. can work and work and work. But if they start to feel like, am I just toiling away at something that, is mm -hmm. some person it's not doing anything for the business yeah right? that's where burnout sets in yeah and the medical field where it's a it's a completely different uh 
it's not completely different, but there's a different, different, more technical term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that resonates with me because I've, I've been in, in that spectrum, you know, I've, I have a, a desire generally to work hard like you, I think, but when I'm really feeling connected to what I'm doing, which I would say is, is where I am now that I'm doing kind of my own thing. Like I can get sort of absorbed in it and, but it doesn't, I like it. I don't know. I still have to check in once in a while, make sure I'm not ignoring other parts of my life, but like, it doesn't, it does not burn me out. But other times when I've probably worked less, I absolutely feel burned out. Right. Because, and, and I think, I think that's where a lot of people are right now. I think, um, you know, I've, I had a, a workshop a few weeks ago with some folks, mostly from, from my industry of advertising and I don't know how many use the word burned out, but even talking to some of them afterwards, there was just this general sense of like, people are suffering. They're just like, they don't quite know what to, to do with the current work situation that's in front of them because they feel some combination of, like you said, this sort of being treated like, like a cog. And then also like a, a lack of clear vision for what it all means and where it's all going, right? There's a lot of disruption right now with technology and just humanity being disrupted by, by all of it, I think. Um, so, you know, for me, I try to focus on how you can, you can deal with that as, as a coach now, like one-on-one, -on -one, right? How can I help one person try to get there? Now you've worked obviously within organizations when you see burnout in an organization, what, what are you trying to do to quote unquote, fix it? Well, that's where that's, that's where the rub is, is the mm -hmm. actual fixing it. Um, yeah. You know, in my career, I've said, I, I, what I tell people is I can tell you, you give me a few months on a company and I'll tell you what the key things are that mm -hmm. are impacting people negatively and impacting the potential to really, you know, produce what mm -hmm. I can't is convince people who don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. A hard, harder time doing it is convince people who don't want to hear it mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. Just like for, for example, in, in, in the medical field in particular, Staffing is just a universal issue. Yeah. Everybody is understaffed, pharmacists mm -hmm. to nurses to PAs to doctors. So, you know, the only real solution in the end, and you see this a little bit, is fewer hours. It's like I noticed like the pharmacy was shut down for certain hours a day. And like mm -hmm. it's like in restaurants, like we're trying to not kill our staff. Yeah. Little so that's one thing, is there's just a real you know, um, practical math issue, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's this, many yeah. people, this many hours. Mm -hmm. um, but then just think about when you're understaffed, the chaos that can happen. And then, so then those people are picking up that extra chaos and they can't get mm -hmm. the time they need. Right. Yeah. So that's a real tough issue because companies have to, you know, the only way to deal with it is to be willing to make a little bit less to create sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, the pharmacy says, mm -mm, no, we'll just get new people to, to yeah. after they're, after they're done. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a problem we're probably not going to solve on this call, right. you know, but it, it is, I mean, that's, that's the distinction, right? Between the sort of 
individual stuff where you can work with somebody and go, how can you best manage what's right in front of you versus organizational systemic, you know, now you get into things like when the economy is, is struggling a little bit, you know, a company, again, this is just human nature, but you lean into it a little more and you push a little more because you know, your employees can take it a little more when their options are less, you know, where like during COVID, there was that period where everybody was hiring and it was crazy. It was like a lot of companies were, were laying off a little bit because of that. And I, I, I'd, I'd love to, at some point find, you know, is there anybody out there in the world who's trying to feel, deal with that issue, the systemic stuff, I think to your point about shareholder uh, driven stuff and people trying to figure out, is there more ways of taking into account both the, the employee experience, the customer experience, the the effect on the world at large, some of that is happening. But when the rubber meets the road, does it really happen? And that's probably uh, another call at another time to figure out that issue. What's fascinating to me, I've shown results, I've shown data, mm-hmm. showed uh, in the last couple of years at a, uh, my last um, gig, burnout mm-hmm. predicted customer service ratings for individuals, mm-hmm. doctors ratings given by patients, mm-hmm. big differences, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does not take a lot of imagination to imagine, to, to know how that impacts your business, right? Yeah. We showed, for example, we had an employee experience score, just seven questions that try to cover like overall, how is your experience at this company mm-hmm. and burnout both predicted uh, ratings that patients or customers gave people. Yeah. And it predicted turnover unbelievably. We predicted that um, our providers that in 2021, mm-hmm. you know, a c- conservative estimate was a cost of $340 million due to provider turnover exclusive due to burnout exclusively. Wow. Escalated the impact of burnout only. Mm-hmm. So it's a minimum of $340 million in that year. You would think that would precipitate action, but obviously things are more complicated, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, that's like the $10 billion question, right? Because it's like, I think, you know, even without knowing that intuitively, like, I think that that's probably true, whether it's that number exactly. Like, I think there's clearly a heavy cost to all of this. Um, and then when you're able to actually produce that number, like, I, I, is it as simple as resistance to change? Could be, you know, fear that uh, if I do something about it and it doesn't work, then what? And now I look bad. There's, you know, there's no, there's less risk with just doing what you've always done versus trying something new. Um, there's probably a, a pretty deep psychological study you could try to do that that determines why a significant portion of executives can see that kind of data and still go, you know what, put it under the rug, you know, file it away for another time. An executive one time asked to take the burnout question off the survey. Yeah. Executive, Cause if there's a number that's going up, then I'm responsible for doing mm-hmm. something. And I yeah. understand there are business realities that you have to, you know, you have to deal with. But the more sure. that you overlook those things and then feed people bullshit, mm-hmm. 
the more you're going to have an untrusting workforce that yeah. when the moment comes that you need them to do what you need them to do, they're going to say, you know what, if they mm-hmm. can. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, this is what I've always been baffled by. If you treat people well and you inspire them and you got to mm-hmm. be, got to manage them. You can't just let poor performers. Sure. Survive. But people will do whatever they, you, whatever they can to help you when you need them, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. they know you're looking out for them. People will do that. Yeah. Other exceptions, of course. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but it's hard. It's hard. And the more toxic the environment you're in is, I know Joe Palm talked about servant leadership. Mm-hmm. It is to be a servant leader because yeah. you look up and they're like, what? Yeah. Go back to flogging that guy and get him to work this weekend. Yeah, I'm servant leader. Um, yeah. No, I, I get it. I think of what I like what Joe Palm is doing there is he's he's trying to go from just the fluffy sounding servant leader to what he's calling practical servant leadership, which is like there's like practical things you can do. And I think that potentially is the missing link, at least for some subset of those executives where it's like, you got to give me something concrete I can do. Don't just tell me there's this thing and I need to f- do it or fix it, but I don't know how to do it because I've never done it before. Like, give me five things I can do. At least then you're arming people. And I think that might be, you know, this is again, the optimist in me showing up, but I, I got to believe at least some percentage of folks who have at least a little bit of concern about that $340 million showing up. If you say, here's some really easy steps you can do that might start to affect that. They go, all right, I'll try that. I'll start with the lowest risk ones and I'll, I'll see what happens. Um, but I get the feeling that in a lot of places, that's not even happening. It's just like, I, I know I should fix it, but I don't really know how. So I'm going to go focus on the stuff that I know how to do. I, you know, something that I've seen a lot is when an executive request comes down and in analytics, people analytics, mm-hmm. you're constantly hammered by executives because we have data, right? Yeah. So I never knew where in the company some executives going to want something, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, ju- just observing that, right, in more hierarchical places, mm-hmm. right? Someone some up here asks for something. One person, a step below, doesn't really understand exactly what they want, and they are running out the door, mm-hmm. people, right? Now you've got more and more people, this person needs it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, we gotta get it. <laughs> yeah, and people like a clown car. You know, like they're <laughs> running into each other. Yeah, you know what I I said. You want it, three things leaders can do mm-hmm. to 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 reduce all of that noise. Yeah, number one, make sure the person understands what you're asking for and why. Mm-hmm. It goes back to like clarity about what you're looking for. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just that vagueness right there multiplies work. Yep. Let them know when you need it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the person is going to assume immediately right now because, yeah. Yeah. you know, like yeah. Vice President God just asked for it and nothing <laughs> yeah. else matters. Running, running buildings to fix leaky <laughs> toilet. Yeah. Um, and then the third is, you know, if you have questions about what you're doing and, and there's, like forks in the road where you can either do a lot of work or a lot less. Mm-hmm. Here's how you would get back to me to clarify, to get clarification. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, further think about this, that mm-hmm. person being asked to get that stuff is now in the position of, 
I can impress whoever with like, like, you know, this eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. That is exactly opposite of the motivations of everyone else who now is going to be doing the work. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. like, I got stuff to do. You're coming in out of left field. Could we just make sure this is contained and we get what we need? Because mm -hmm. yeah, of course we need to get it for an executive quickly. Right. But does it have to be a form of cruel and unusual punishment for <laughs> anyone involved? Yeah. And those are things to me where it's just you, some word that came up a lot in the first few episodes is courage. That is a mm -hmm. big part yeah. of why those arrows are. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And I think courage is a, is a little bit downstream of culture. Right. And I think those three questions you talked about, I mean, those are, when I think about culture, like that's culture getting those three questions to be a consistent part yeah. of the way. Yeah. It's make it a norm. Like you, you ask those three things, like getting super clear on what you're asking for, when you're asking for it and how somebody can, can come back to you for clarification, like super simple, but, but the multiplier of that through an organization, that's, that's how culture happens. And I think when you create a culture where that kind of behavior is there, it's a lot easier to be courageous. Right. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, you, you either commit to making those kinds of changes or you don't. Um, but when you frame it like you did, you're certainly giving people a chance to do it because you're making it a lot easier than either you guys are all just jacked up and you need to fix your culture and people go, I don't know how to do that. Or, you know, you, you ask them to like go through some like, 28 week program blah 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 and it's like i don't have time for that oh i just need to ask you know i need i just need to like do three things all right i'll try it see how it goes you know people may still revert back but at it's least the message you're passing along to the the people who are receiving it is the yeah 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 i mean they Especially. you I, I have been in w way too many situations where i've seen the, the clown car effect where it's just you come running somebody comes running out it sometimes might be me or somebody else where you're running out and it's like they just asked for this thing everything else is gone and yeah it's it is deadly to an organizational culture because just the deflation that happens on people who are super excited maybe that day to actually work on the thing they're supposed to be working on and now it's like oh i'm going to spend the next four hours why isn't know. that thing done yeah in three days dealing with yeah and then that, the circus clown who yeah had the request from the leader running yeah. i saw one time I, I had someone on my team dealing with somewhere literally every time he sent her something mm -hmm. not even within 15 minutes of the email she's like okay now can you look i mean mm -hmm. a week and i kept saying to him i'm like nick <laughs> if you need any help let me know if you need mm -hmm. this here, let me know. Yeah. You know, because I could see that it was just a never ending. And it was because that person didn't know what the leader really wanted. Yeah. So we had a whole sitcom or episode over that, like trying to read. Yeah. Like, hey, this says, no, no, that says, you know, how about we find out rather than us all getting, you know, our yeah. sunglasses out and try to. Yeah, it's like a, a, a less funny version of Three's Company where you think you heard this one thing, you know, Mr. Furley thought he heard Jack and Janet, you know, saying something. Um, you know, 
some of the work you have done in the past, I want to come back to this idea of like employee surveys, because I think as somebody who works as a coach, I certainly do like a lot of assessments and I'm very into the idea of understanding what people are thinking and feeling. The, the flip side of me is putting myself back in the shoes of sitting there, getting the email that says, do this survey and thinking I'm either no fucking way am I doing this survey because if I say anything negative, um, it surely will come back to me or I'm going to do this survey, but I'm probably not going to be super honest because I don't want to potentially, you know, have it blow back on me. So how do you, how do you design the survey and the experience of getting and receiving the survey and that whole process in a way where you feel, you know, confident that you're getting the kind of information you actually need? Well, first of all, I mean, people have different risk tolerance, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you're always going to have people who are like, never going to tell the truth. And you're going to have some people who are, are just going to, right? So yeah. I always say it's directionally correct. Okay. It's maybe a muted version, but when you mm -hmm. link it to something like turnover and mm -hmm. performance, you see very strong prediction of those things, like literally take the test, months mm -hmm. of performance looking forward, mm -hmm. it predicts turnover and burnout, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. so the, the less, um, the less risky the question appears, the more likely people are to be honest. So it's about mm -hmm. in some cases, how you phrase it. Yeah, but, but it really is in the end, all around the communication of it mm -hmm. and over time, people seeing that there's no negative consequence to being honest. Mm -hmm. My last company, very large global company, we said <laughs> we wanted to move towards, you know, um, more candor. We wanted to bring, we wanted managers to be able to read results of their teams with written comments, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't need it if you have seven people, but if you have 50 people, that's helpful, right? Yeah. So we would tell people, these are going to go directly to your manager. Don't self-identify. Don't say, mm -hmm. I'm a white director in, you know, male director in Kansas. Yeah. Uh, Overland Park. Right. Um, and don't be a maniac because no one's going to listen to someone who's ranting and raving. Mm -hmm. uh, try to be constructive. Right. And over time, you know, people start to see they can trust that. The, mm -hmm. some of them, I'm walking out of, you know, show up one day in their living room with, <laughs> with a side. Um, and, you know, and, and what I also tried to do is I started a forum where I invited anyone who was a stakeholder for this kind of data mm -hmm. to show them what we're finding and what we're doing about it. Mm. So to see that, like, there's actually, this is a good aim behind this, right? Mm -hmm. Things going on, you may yeah. not see it. Um, so I think you just have to create that culture over time where people start to under to get, you know, that this is not this isn't a witch hunt. Mm -hmm. I did work for a company at one time where every time they wanted to fire an executive, they did a 360. Oh, <laughs> so you do that, you're yeah. gonna have less candor. I, I would imagine. Yeah. You do less <laughs> of that, you use it, you know, it's it's for it's it's about that trust creating trust in the relationship between company and employees, mm -hmm. you know, um, you just have to do it over time and show that there's good, good aims, but yeah, it's never perfect. 
Yeah, no, I get that. I think, I think if you, you know, as a, as an employee, I think if you started to feel that trust and maybe on occasion, like noticed and were communicated that some changes had been made based on, on stuff like, you know, Hey, everybody, we're implementing a, you know, summer Friday program based on people feeling burnt at whatever it is. I'm just making it up. Like it, like that probably goes a long way to like, just go, okay. I know it's not perfect, but if I say something, it could potentially like just tweak the, the dial a little bit, then, then maybe I'm slightly motivated. Um, you talked about that, you know, your last job was at a really large organization. And I think in general, you've worked for some pretty good sized places and, you know, I, I try to focus a lot on culture and changing culture, improving culture. I, I tend to, in my work, I've mostly worked with smaller organizations. What I notice in bigger organizations, there's something that I've observed and I'm using this phrase and I don't even know if it makes sense, but I'm calling it pocket cultures. Basically as sort of a survival mechanism, you know, I, as a leader can, can try to, create a, a reasonably healthy functioning culture in my team of 20 or 30 people where my team actually maybe shows up to work every day, feeling pretty good, feeling pretty motivated. Some of that is me playing a little bit of protector on the offensive line, blocking some stuff out of the way for them. Some of that is just, you know, maybe I have just enough autonomy, even within this larger, potentially somewhat toxic culture to, to do my thing uh, and do it in a way that protects people. One, have you seen that? And if so, do you think that's a good thing? I've definitely seen that. Yeah. Um, you know, through my career in surveys, what you see very clearly, like you see this group that their score is like way higher and different than everybody else. You're like, what's going on there? It's like, well, actually that's a self-functioning group that almost never talks to anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> the less you interact with the, the mass you know in the middle yeah the happier you are i mean mm -hmm. why because you can just do your job mm -hmm. right yeah and not be you know being pushed around left this way that way that way mm -hmm. um so yes i definitely see that mm -hmm. um yeah, when you say is it a good thing what, what do you mean is it a good well thing? i mean is <laughs> When I, when I see it, I think it's, it's one. I'd say, yes, it is a good thing, but yeah. no matter what, but like I'm wondering yeah. what your angle is on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think I probably sort of have an answer in my head and, and the, the thought is like, it is a good thing because you've now got 20 or 30 people who feel better about showing up to work every day. And you've got a leader who feels like they can actually inspire people and get some shit done. I think it's a negative that it has to happen, you know, and I guess, is it, is it also like a bad thing in the sense that you're, you're not, even though it's a toxic world out there, is there something bad about not being connected to it still? Like, are you missing I, something? Yeah. The, the only thing that I can think of that would not be ideal, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is when and if that toxicity somehow reaches you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to well, like if the eye turns and focuses on you, you're not going to be able to protect your people and create the environment that you've been creating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only that's the only negative. But otherwise, 
you know, hey, it's better than having it toxic all the way through and people leaving. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Uh, the question is, and this is what I I've talked to Joe Palm about, and with mm -hmm. service leadership is, what do you do when you're embedded in a place where the shit is just pouring down above, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, there's a limit to what you can do to yeah to, to fend you know to pr protect your people from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to be hit by that. I think and what I if it's every I, now and then, then you can convince your people like this is the reality. We got to do right. this blah, but then we go back to our normal world. If it's every day, then they're going to be like, "That's great." Then it's over. Yeah, I'll call you and check on how it's going. Yeah, a few weeks. Yeah, no, I get that. I think, you know, I think uh, I've been in some of those situations where you can you can hold the, the dam for so long and then it breaks. But then on the flip side, I think there is occasionally and this is probably maybe not a fully toxic culture around you, but an uneven culture where if you start to create a, a pretty good pocket culture. Occasionally, the the team next to you sort of peeks in and goes like, what's going on over there? What are you doing? And maybe they get to try to model some of that for themselves. So, you know, again, coming back to the slightly more optimistic side of me, it's like, stay at it as long as you can, because one, it's protecting your people and protecting yourself, but potentially you might be able to influence some other folks who are in proximity to you to, to also build that. And maybe it's never going to flow through the whole organization, but uh, an organization with 50% of the people feeling pretty good is better than one with 10%. So it's, it's worth trying. Um, coming back to this sort of optimistic side, I know Mike, you're, you're a little more of a skeptic maybe than I am. Um, what, what are you sort of most down on right now? When you look at the world of work, what, what are you feeling most sort of pessimistic about? That's easy for me. Yeah. Um, because I, I, um, I have an unhealthy need for justice, which does <laughs> not, um, um, you know, uh, bode well for me in corporate America. <laughs> um, you know, I just, um, I think, um, you know, people who use other people for their own ends, right? Like there are always mm -hmm. going to be people out there who are more towards the narcissistic side or going to, mm -hmm. you know, as objects around them for various reasons or whatever some it's a norm for them others it's you know not um, mm -hmm. but push comes to shove they'll do it mm -hmm. yeah and what i think the most disappointing thing for me throughout my career is the lack of people in in positions where they don't want to lose what they have right they don't want to start they'll have to go get another job and if you're an executive possibly have to move and mm -hmm. and so the acceptance of a status quo and using it as an excuse really you know mm -hmm. and yeah. not doing well that's just the way it is right you, you right. either go there or you don't go somewhere else if you don't and i understand that yeah but it's the lack of um desire to be a servant leader when mm -hmm. you're in that position and you have people relying on you where you have an opportunity to create a decent mm -hmm. world for people versus just shit all over them right mm -hmm. and the fact that i think it's a lot of good people who otherwise would not do that yeah do it because they are in a situation where they're they that's the norm mm -hmm. and 
they don't want to lose what they have and they feel that <laughs> you could almost see the rationalization going on. Yeah. In the end, you know, people are people. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's got to start top down. Yeah. For it, for it to get across the company, you got to have someone up here who's like, this is the way we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell people when you need it every time. And if you mm-hmm. don't, I'll talk to you again. So they don't go out and assume that you need it right now. Yeah. Right. Um, without that, mm-hmm. people are left to their unchecked power, you know, um, is 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 not going to be a line. Those arrows aren't going to be. Yeah. So so I think, you know, you need a leader above who understands that and wants to ensure that um, that the average worker is mm-hmm. not in the hands of the wrong people when they when they report to someone or in a certain organization. Do you through the, the through the cloud of of skepticism and pessimism about that? Do you f- see anything that gives you hope that that could get better? Um, yeah, I think there's a pendulum that swings where just the the mindset towards it. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people now that are like, you know, there's no pensions. No one gets pensions anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd be lucky if you get a, you know, two week severance. Right. Um, so there's a lot of, I, I think there's a, a recognition that if people, if, if companies try to create the right experience for employees and for the people, the good people mm-hmm. you know, give back yeah, um, that, um, and I just think that it, everything it, it's gotten to a point where it's so one-sided now that it n- naturally is going to swing back, mm-hmm. but in fact, people are people. Yeah. And, you know, I think what it comes down to is the right leader, mm-hmm. electing the right people below, like mm-hmm. selecting for people with certain, you know, personality types that are going to want to support rather than just ways yeah. to do that. Um, yeah, you know, and then reinforcing that culture mm-hmm. day in and day out. Um, yeah, I think there's an opportunity to create something great, but you—it's a rare leader who has the energy and perspective to do that. Yeah, and I and I get that. I think I think for me, I, I find optimism probably in two places. One is I do see the pendulum swing, and I certainly see in the work that I do and sort of being in this larger community of coaching and personal development and organizational culture like i'm i'm certainly seeing the conversation shift much more to people thinking that way and and therefore more people are at least getting that message you know how many heed it is a different question but at least more people are getting that message and i think if we continue that message as younger people start to emerge into leadership which is i think where my second sort of shoot of optimism comes from is, I think generally uh, younger folks are viewing work differently. They're viewing what they want from a leader differently. And if they can continue to be honest with themselves about all of that as they rise up the ranks and don't allow power to to corrupt, which is always the risk, right? We're human beings. And when you start to get power, you can sort of go, ah, I was a crazy kid back then. But if we're all sort of keeping the conversation going and they can hang on to some of that, then when they get to be a leader, they can go, oh, okay, yeah, I probably should do it that way. It worked for me. I found a place where that worked. So maybe I can do it that way. And slowly that starts to to bubble out across. But it's 
it's not a rapid turn. It takes some of the some of the folks to simply just age out. Yeah. You know, some of the folks to change doesn't get. happen. That's culture change, right? I mean, yeah, and it takes time. Happen. Yeah, you need all the people in the leadership positions to change. I can't wait till they start getting all the political jobs. There, the yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the good news is 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 it is happening slowly, and I think it can be slightly accelerated by there being enough of a groundswell of this conversation to say we're not really interested in that kind of leadership and and in some places that may lead to people pushing folks out maybe before they would have aged out you know or 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 this is this is this is my optimist showing up again pushing somebody to reassess how they show up as a leader maybe because they see the writing on the wall and realize oh i can't be that kind of leader anymore and that's where working with with a coach or a consultant somebody can kind of go here's the here's the traits you need to survive as a leader, to thrive as a leader. Now, it's not what you had 10 years ago. You were, you were someone, you know, I use the DISC assessment sometimes, and there's the high D, it's sort of a very dominant personality um, that shows up a lot for leaders. You need more of a high I, which is somebody who's a little bit more socially savvy um, and knows how to kind of corral people together. Mm-hmm. Again, if 10% of organizations sort of started to make that realization, I'm happy. Obviously, I want more, but I'm happy. So I think, I think the potential's there. I just think um, it's going to take continued work and people actually showing up with a little bit of courage to use that word again. You know, and and large companies are. It's tough to have intimacy, right? It's tough to mm-hmm. where, where people are in group and out group based, right? You, mm-hmm. You're in group. Well, when your in group is four hundred thousand people, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and everyone's different and has different motivations and aims. And then you have this legal and regulatory environment that make it extremely mm-hmm. difficult to be completely candid with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard to create trust, right? It's a lot yeah. easier to a group of 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just not a structure that's easy, that easily lends itself towards that. But that's why mm-hmm. it's got to be, there have to be certain rules in place. And the most important thing is a leader up top. Mm-hmm. Who, they scan their people and they say this person isn't doing that yeah even if they're a superstar mm-hmm. a lot of money for the company we have to say you either do that or you're not a leader in this company you can be something else maybe yeah people um, yeah i mean it, it comes back a little to something the one of my recent podcast guests chris dyer mentioned which is you gotta you gotta change what you measure Meaning if you want a, a, a employee engagement to, to, to be an important thing, really measure it. You know, if you want cooperation to be a value that you uphold, how do you measure that? Um, you know, that probably comes back to some of the things you do. And it's like, you got to measure it and then be willing to deal with the results. Do something about it. That's you what know? I was going to add is measuring yeah. it is, is good. Right. It's easy to take the reservation. It's right. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that's why it's, it is important one to, to focus on that top level of leadership. And I think in, in the public company world, like the boards, like how do those boards get reformed in a way too, so that, you know, if the board is constantly being the one that's shouting at the CEO saying, I need you to focus on this tiny sliver of performance that matters to me, it's going to be harder to get the change you want. So how do you start to not only impact culture within organizations, but think about how, how the boards 
can start to have a cultural shift as well because they're obviously pulling the strings uh, in these and, huge. And are they getting candid information? Are they getting because that stuff gets sanitized at every level? The more <laughs> hierarchical an organization, the more sanitized it gets. Yeah, yeah. Um, so are they getting the you know the real view of of what's going on? Yeah, probably not. You know, um, so Mike, I know you're sort of in a process of, of doing some redefining of your own career. I know you've spent time in these really large organizations uh, and you, you left that 400,000 plus company a little while back. What are, what are you looking for in your career? What would be your ideal sort of desuckified work situation? Yeah, um, well, for sure. The first thing would be the arrows like somewhat in the same direction and yeah. some of this yeah um i'm you know i unfortunately for, for people analytics larger company has it, it has more value right mm -hmm. sure a really tiny company so mm -hmm. it's kind of consulting in a more small mid-company space or internal potentially in a mm -hmm. uh, you know um genuineness is something mm -hmm. that I'm looking for um, yeah where you can say what you mean um where you can question um you know mm -hmm. where in the end if you're respectful and trying to do the right thing and mm -hmm. if you good work that that's what matters yeah right? um, mm -hmm. not how you looked in a meeting of you know 10 SVPs last week. Mm -hmm. And it, it's really being, being, able, being, being valued for doing good work that, that is, you know, that's not being, um, bastardized, if you will. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, working companies where I've led employee surveys, right. And you're coming mm -hmm. up with results that say, here's what we need to do to get people energized. Right. Mm -hmm. And if that gets bastardized, it's like just suck the life right out of me. Yeah. I think I, I told that. you before. Yeah. Uh, cynic, scratch any cynic, George Carlin said, you'll find a disappointed idealist. <laughs> yeah. No, I, <laughs> I get and, that. Uh, that resonates for me, you know? Yeah. So something where, you know, people want to create something where everybody's in it. It's for mm -hmm. us. It's not for me. It's not about yeah. me. It's about us. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that's what I'm looking for. Well, I certainly hope I hope you're able to find it, and I hope uh, maybe somebody who ends up listening to this uh, is is inspired by some of the stuff you've said. So uh, we'll we'll see where that goes. LLC probably is the the way to go. <laughs> yeah, could be. You know, that's all right. I think uh, I, I think certainly for me, I I hear a lot of what you say, and it it both demonstrates the reality of the situation. But I think what what I like in the in the way you talk about stuff, Mike, is you you see the reality, but you also give certainly for me, I see things to grab onto. I see like, OK, can do those three things. I can, uh, you know, I can act a certain way. I can affect change up at the top of the leadership. And then that's actually going to make a difference. So for somebody who's listening and going, oh, there's some screwed up shit out there in the corporate world. I think, well, yeah, we all know that. Um, but what I'm hearing is. You can get data, you can get information, and then you can you can do a few things and and actually impact it. So for the for the uh, the optimists who have been uh, sort of converted into cynics, 
it maybe gives you a way to reach back towards that optimist side of yourself and go, okay, I'm willing to give it another go. I've heard some things here that I think I can at least try to, to do things that, that might make a difference. So um, I, I don't know. It, no, it no, I, gives- and I think I'm less, I am cynical and skeptic, but yeah. Look, I mean, it's just, I think it just leadership, you know, requires um, good leadership. Excellent leadership requires more than just your average person. Absolutely. You're, to your average insecurities and your average mm-hmm. rationalizations and yeah a strong person is going to say this is the way we're going to treat people knowing mm-hmm. that you're going to get something back in the end mm-hmm. yeah it's you know, you're like yeah show me that this is gonna you know right. treating people like <laughs> shit is going to actually result in more positive outcomes like <laughs> i really have to go through an analysis to show you that i mean yeah no i mean i think gaslighting that's... thing to yeah that's why i say genuineness it's like let's yeah. just from do good work and treat yeah. each other personally and hold yeah. each other accountable so i think it starts with who's at the top mm-hmm. and then you build that organization and you and the one thing you have to do in my opinion zero zero tolerance for for um you know for the um for the narcissists and sociopaths and psychopaths that yeah which is is sadly you know overrepresented in executive leadership i think most studies will tell you that but again i I come back to the hope that that the the pendulum is is swinging and we're seeing that that those traits maybe no longer serve uh, people as leaders and certainly don't certainly don't serve us on a broad scale society wise certainly don't serve the people who are working under it and hopefully people will start to see that it's not serving the business interest either and we can start to attract folks who have uh, a little more emotional intelligence uh, than than maybe the uh, the standard uh, from 20 years ago um, in, in that vein I'd love to just kind of know like if you could sort of wave a magic wand, like what would a, a fully desuckified work world look like to you? I thought we were essentially addressing that question. I think we got to I, most I, of it, but the did arrows, we miss the same direction, right? Yeah. It's it's you know, leader leaders that can ensure that there's alignment mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. And and when you're not aligned and you move towards personal gain over team game that that's addressed mm-hmm. fairness and justice um you know holding people accountable mm-hmm. or treating people the right way as well as business you know doing things the right way as well as business results mm-hmm. um you know and and i think trust and respect is is the key is trust and respect yeah. workplace yeah i think uh I think a lot of folks, including myself, would agree with all of that. So uh, I don't have a magic wand, but uh, I think each of us is doing our little part to to try to to bring a little more trust and respect into this world of work. And, you know, to end this on a slightly lighter note, you know, one of the things I've done with a lot of my guests is uh, ask them to make a sound effect. I've been uh, if you you listen to some of my episodes, you'll hear cat sounds and some other goofy sound effects in the intro and the outro. I, I I like those sounds. I like goofy fart noises. Like I'm just like a, a, a seven year old boy at heart. Uh, you have any sound effects that you are able to make that you can uh, add to our library? I've been thinking about this question too. Um, <laughs> and the the one I'm debating between two, but one okay. for you would be 
this is a little bit of an inside joke, but and you know that one. I do know that one. Know that. Yeah, feeling need to, to drink fast right now. So easy. <laughs> you know, like with the kids, lift up a leg and do. <laughs> Very I, I grew up in New York City. Uh, so that would be the other one. Is there? <laughs> that, as, as you could see, that one, uh, that one will get me. You could do that a billion times and I will laugh just as hard on the billionth time as the first time because I, I just enjoy silly, stupid humor. So boys we're children and yes <laughs> that is the that is the good and bad about being being a, a male of the species is that uh we hang on to our our childish selves which can be good in some instances and may hold us back in others but it still makes life pretty fun <laughs> yeah. I have two daughters and a son so i'm gonna have two girls who have a lot of tolerance for that <laughs> well that that may serve them well if they're if they're ultimately uh meeting meeting dudes out there and, and they can tolerate some of the stupidity that comes with the package. <laughs> well, all right, Mike, I, I appreciate the conversation. I think we got into some really fun stuff and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the, the Desuckify Work podcast. I've been looking forward to it. I really enjoyed it as I knew I would. Mm -hmm. Say you're a role model in that you, you know, you said, I mean, I'm thinking about a podcast and like <laughs> you've got a podcast and it looks like for years so first of us kind of rethinking what we're doing and where we're going mm. we're really, uh, so i, I, I appreciate I, that that's awesome mike thank you all right well on that really positive note we'll uh we'll say goodbye all right all take right it. take care mike bye-bye thanks everyone for tuning in to the desuckify work podcast and thanks to mike for being an insightful and informative guest you can connect with mike on linkedin especially if you're someone who wants to learn the truth about your organization and turn that truth into positive change. Speaking of positive change, if you like some of what you heard from me and would like to hear more, let's talk. I'll drop a link in the show notes to help you get something scheduled. See you next time, everyone. Bye.